Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is brought to you by MeBank, the bank built and supported by industry super funds. Ever wondered about getting a better deal on your home loan? Well, it might be time to get in touch with MeBank. Whatever your investment strategy, you'll find a loan that's right for you with competitive rates and flexible home loan options. So stop wondering and start saving. Call MeBank on 131 563 or visit mebank.com.au. Terms and conditions apply. Now here's the show. I could do it this afternoon and pick a property and buy and allocate some funds to it. And then I'm just sitting on my hands and the next three years, four years, I've got enough equity to go again. Assuming I can service the the mortgage. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're keeping the conversation going with Research Director at Empower Wealth, Jeremy Shepard. He will share with us his data-driven strategy that you can use to pinpoint the top markets that are best suited to your budget and uncover how location score can help you eliminate 99% of properties you don't want. Also, before we delve into this episode, go over to propertyinveststory.com and subscribe to receive your free property investor case studies where you'll learn how to generate passive income from your properties. Go there now to sign up for free. Initially, what held Shepard back from investing into property was not having the essentials, a deposit, confidence and adequate knowledge to make big decisions. Well, obviously a deposit, uh, you know, it's a lot easier to get into, into shares with a few thousand dollars. You can't do that with, with real estate. But um, I had been uh, putting money aside when I'd been trying to push, push it towards a share portfolio. So I had some, something there, even though the uh, market had crashed and uh, I had less than what I started with, there was still enough there to, to get into real estate. Um, and of course, uh, I mean, geez, the first property I bought was uh, $206,000. That's back in 2002. It seems so cheap now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mind you, that's a good 50 kilometres west of Sydney um, where I first bought. But I think um, yeah, being sure of, of what you're doing uh, is, is something that's always going to hold you back. And... Um, yeah, when I think back, uh, comparing what I know now to what I knew back then, yeah, I do feel like I was, uh, you know, like a a young cowboy, you know, just uh, trailblazing. Um, yeah, I really didn't know what I was doing, and I can vaguely remember 
thinking uh, it'll sort itself out or I'll learn from this if it doesn't work out or, you know, what could possibly go wrong. But, yeah, fear fear is one of the, the big holders, holdbacks, and, um, and then just um, that deposit. Um, yeah, the resources, I thought, uh, like the resources that were available for information and data back then, um, I didn't think that was really a, a limiting factor. It was, it was more just um, I've got to make a decision on the information I have available and I'm, I'm scared to, um, and I'm, I'm restricted in, in what I could buy based on uh, the, the deposit that I've got. There were some resources that he regularly turned to that aided him in gaining more confidence to start investing in property. Unsurprisingly, as a person with a background in computers, he was drawn into data. I was always fascinated by the uh, data in the back of the magazine. So there were two magazines back then, Australian Property Investor Magazine and Your Investment Property Magazine, and they had a big data section at the back. And I just used to pore over over those lines of data and just think, um, yeah, if this is the only information that I knew, how, how would I pick which one of these markets is going to be a better performing one? Uh, and then there's nothing better than going and visiting a location, of course. Um, but there's a lot of lot of information you absorb when when you go and visit a location that that is subconsciously absorbed. And, and I think most people refer to that as getting a feel for it. I get a feel for the location. Um, and sometimes that can bias us. Um, there've been a lot of markets in the past that have been lower socioeconomic demographic markets that have. Uh, had some spectacular capital growth, yet they've got some stigma associated with them. And um, I mean, some of the the markets in Sydney, I, mean, I remember Redfin years ago, um, had a terrible stigma, but it's just so close to the CBD. It's such a convenient location. That was never going to last. That was always going to be uh, an opportunity. One that I missed, actually. But, but yes, yeah, stigmas and... Um, Getting a feel for a market um, and having that property data at the back of the magazines. I think I read um, an enormous number of books on property investing too. Um, the point where I started feeling most confident with my investing is, is when I um, I started hearing the same things from from different authors. Uh, so if you read say a dozen property investment books and you start hearing the same thing, then then you know that you've You've probably got things. There'll be there'll be contradictions. Every every expert has different opinions about how to go about things, different strategies. Um, and I can remember reading one book and thinking, "Wow, why why did this author think they knew enough to write a book? I, I disagree with this, and I disagree with that." Um, and and then I thought, "Okay, I'm I've got to stop reading books and start getting out there and and investing." Um, yeah, I think I think a lot of people are held back by by the fear, and and I think it's a good thing. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, to try and get business turnover, you might hear some commentators say, "Oh, you've just got to you've just got to jump in." Um, you know, you shouldn't get that analysis paralysis. But I think the fear is is a good thing. It means that you haven't learnt what you need to learn. Um, if you knew enough, you wouldn't have that fear. Uh, so yeah, I yeah, I, I just kept. Kept pushing, kept kept reading, kept absorbing until I uh, I felt confident. Of course, there are some people who are just always confident about everything they do, 
and that could be a negative thing. They should probably just back <laughs> off and <laughs> speak to someone else who, who will, uh, you know, play the devil's advocate for them. Yeah, yeah. But for me, I, me being a cautious kind of guy, I knew that uh, yeah, I had to wait until I was, I felt confident. He names a few resources by authors like Robert Kiyosaki, Michael Yarny, and Margaret Lomas amongst those that helped him in his journey. I think um, uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad for the concept of what is an asset and what is a liability. Uh, not so much for property investing specifically, but just uh, you shouldn't be borrowing money to buy liabilities um, and you should be acquiring asset. And what is an asset? It's, it's not something that can be sold for cash, because you can sell your car for cash, but your car is is a liability. It generates expenses and it depreciates in value. You want something that generates income and appreciates in value. Um, let's see. So that that's a standout for for just a basic concept. Um, actual property investing strategies. It's funny because I've been to seminars um, from spruikers. And, and I know why people call them spruikers because this is, uh, you know, very hard to replicate these sorts of things. But I've learned stuff. You know, you can learn from just about anyone, but you just got to be careful. Um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to pump up any spruikers. Uh, but, but my point is that I think it's better to get an enormous number of opinions from a wide range of experts, uh, rather than just focus on one or two. Um, I've, I've read books from, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of a, like a standout author. I think, um, there was a book that Michael Yardney wrote, which I thought had a good, broad perspective on, on most things. Um, uh, one of Margaret Lomas's, uh, most recent books I thought was, was, was quite good. Um, I can't remember the title. I'm sorry. Um, I think it was like 20 questions you should ask. To invest in property or something uh, like that. Is that I the one? don't think it was that one. I think that's that's one of her more recent ones, isn't it? It's, uh, it was sort of towards the like she's written something like eight books. Yeah, it's a lot of books. And um, <laughs> yeah, I can I can remember. I think the first one I read I wasn't at all impressed with, but but then one of her more recent books, I thought, um, yeah, that's that. You're not going to go wrong by mm. reading anything in, in that. With more than a dozen properties, Shepard has formulated an expert, data-driven strategy that he works off, including an elimination process to help him determine the top markets that suit his budget. I probably mentioned renovations a bit too, a bit too much. That's that's not a strategy for me anymore. It's it really is capital growth. That's that to me is the bee's knees of, of property investing. Um, it's it's so easy if you get it right. Like all you have to do is get your research right, and there's no there's no backbreaking labour. Um, uh, it's you know development, for example, will have some some high risk and projects blow out, and renovations are just a dumbed down, cut down version of a, of a development. They have the same sort of risks and higher expense, and things can go wrong. But the research that you can do. Uh, when I think right now, if I had to buy an investment property, what sort of research would I do and how much of my time would it take? And I think I could do it this afternoon and pick a, pick a property and buy and allocate some funds to it. And then I'm just sitting on my hands and the next 
three years, four years, I've got enough equity to, to, to go again, assuming I can service the, the mortgage still. Serviceability is always uh, going to be a limiting factor. But my approach would be um, I'm looking, first of all, for a bunch of markets that have high demand, low supply. So I'm looking at statistics because I can gather those. Uh, I can run a query against the database and within seconds, I'm looking at the top markets that suit my budget. From there, I, there's some data that, that I can't acquire automatically, and so I would uh, go to the council website. I'd be looking for development applications that are going to spoil supply in that market. If there's a large amount of development applications that mean uh, new properties are being built, uh, adding to the supply, uh, then I'd probably scratch that one from the list. Then I look at another market and I think, oh, gee, it's, it's a bit far from the CBD. There's a bit too much vacant land. Even though there aren't any development applications lodged, there's potential for a developer to go in there, clear the land, divvy up the blocks and, and create oversupply. So I'll scratch that one. Um, then I might look at another one. Oh, it's a unit market. Um, it's a bit too easy for the house across the road to be knocked down, the one down the street and unit, unit blocks to go up. So I'll scratch that off the list. Um, and I'll just keep going like this. So I've got my short list, which the database gives me, and then I do fundamental research on each one of those to scratch various markets off the list. And then what I'm left with is is something that is... Well, first of all, that short list is like, has weeded out 99% of property markets. Mm. If it's like a list of even 30 properties, it's actually down to 99.9% of being weeded out. So I know that already I'm in I'm in a good position, yep. and then I'll scratch markets off that list as as I go. Whatever I'm left with, I'm already very confident is going to be a, a good market. He says it's also important to consider obvious drawbacks of a potential investment, such as high traffic or economic issues. And from then on, it's just a case of well, don't make a mistake of buying in a in a silly street like uh, one that's uh, that's got. Um, uh, maybe high traffic, or there's oh, a housing new, commission. New, yeah, housing commission. Um, and and even then, you know, you could buy in an area that has heavy housing commission. But if that housing commission has already been there for like ten, fifteen, twenty years, that's already been factored in the price of properties around that area. So it's it's not so much the, what's there right now, but how long has it been there? So people will, will, will always talk about um, buying uh, close to parks and schools and shops and transport, um, but those those uh, locations don't outgrow other locations in the same suburb if all of those amenities have been there for a long time. So, for example, if in, let's say a suburb gets a new train station, okay, that is a significant boost. If you're within walking distance of that train station, there's going to be a period of accelerated growth that that property will experience. But eventually, the benefit of being within walking distance of that train station gets factored into the price of that property, and then it's business as usual. The capital growth is just normal from then on. So it's not so much what it's near, but how long those amenities have been there. Have they already been factored into the price of the property? Uh, so, yeah, it's... it's it's trying to date things rather than what what things are there. Yeah. Anyway, so I, that's the second thing that I would do. I, after looking for pending supply at the council website, 
I'd go and pick streets that I think at least aren't aren't stupid, <laughs> um, like like having uh, high traffic or or you know like you said housing commission. But if the housing commission, if I really like a property there and I know it's close to housing commission, but I know that that housing commission might actually be selling rather than buying more properties in that area, then then I'm okay with it. He elaborates on what a property market looks like. So there's a couple of different ways in which, I mean, first of all, everyone knows what a suburb is, uh, but then there could be houses in a suburb or units in a suburb. So you've got the housing market of a suburb or the unit market of the same suburb. You can also refer to a market as being, say, the, the local government area or Sydney. Sydney is a property market. Melbourne is a property market. Um, so it's like a, an aggregation of a large number of suburbs or it's a specific type of property within a suburb. That's, that's what I would call a property market. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into the next steps in Shepherd's strategy for investing in a property with potential capital growth. I think that the best markets to invest in are the ones that sort of creep up on us. A lot of people are chasing after markets that are influenced by a new infrastructure project. And uh, that might influence uh, capital growth. The beauty of location score as an algorithm. So you're not getting an opinion of a truck driver or a mortgage broker or an accountant. You're, you're just getting a completely unemotional algorithm saying, here is the score, the metrics, how they stack up for this suburb. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. This episode is brought to you by MeBank, a different kind of bank built and supported by industry super funds. You could be getting a better deal on your home loan by getting in touch with MeBank. They offer competitive rates and two loan types, one with a range of features including the ability to fix your rate and have multiple offset accounts and another that's nice and simple with no ongoing fees. Both loans provide the flexibility of interest only or principal and interest. So whatever your investment strategy, you'll find a home loan that's right for you. Stop wondering and start saving by giving MeBank a call on 131 563 or visit mebank.com.au. Terms and conditions apply. Now back to the show. Hey podcast listeners, Jeremy Shepard and I have briefly mentioned an amazing software called Location Score that will save you time and help you find the best locations to invest in today. You can check it out at propertyinvestory.com forward slash location score where you can get a special discount right now. Also, when you purchase through my affiliate link, I'll give you one month access to Property Investory Club where you can learn from the experts and be part of a private property investing community valued at $99. Simply visit propertyinvestory.com forward slash location score today. The next steps Shepard would take to invest in a property with potential capital growth entail communicating with real estate agents to determine why the demand may be exceeding the supply in the market he is targeting. If I found some um, some suburbs that are of interest to me and I've researched the council website, I don't believe there's going to be uh, pending supply to ruin, ruin things. Uh, the next step would be to speak to some of the real estate agents and ask them if they have any idea of why uh, demand is exceeding supply in this market. And 
really what I want them to say is is nothing. Um, there's no specific project. Um, I think that the best markets to invest in are ones that sort of creep up on us. A lot of people are chasing after markets that are influenced by a new infrastructure project. And uh, that might influence uh, capital growth. It might influence it in a, in a negative way. Uh, for example, uh, a new shopping centre. So a new shopping centre across the road sounds great, but it could be just so noisy and congested that properties nearby uh, actually depreciate in value. You could get too much pedestrian traffic and it just doesn't feel private anymore. Uh, and, and it can actually be a negative when you thought this you know, $100 million project was going to, to boost values. It, it's hard sometimes to gauge exactly how much influence some new infrastructure will, will benefit. Some have more, more likelihood of a, a positive benefit than, than others. Um, but for me, if, if, the, if the real estate agents are saying, well, I, I don't know, there's just heaps of people turning up to, to auctions, I've got 20 couples um, contacted me to, to look at this open inspection, that confirms to me that the data that I was getting about supply and demand is correct. And if they say they don't have any uh, knowledge of anything that's, that's taking place, then what's probably happened is gradually over a period of time supply has been soaked up developers have been unable to to build in the area maybe because of zoning restrictions maybe because the council just isn't amenable to development like the council could have easily just decided uh, well this is it this is good we're happy with things the way they are so we're not going to let you develop anymore we don't want any more increased density we can't uh, we can't accommodate it we don't have the infrastructure so if the, if the area is still desirable, gradually all that uh, supply gets soaked up and you get to a, a chronic undersupply point. And it's not because of any infrastructure project, it's just, it's just snuck up on us. And that means nobody else knows about it. An example of this is the evidence of a new airport being built in Toowoomba, splashed off across the media and within earshot of developers. The market in that era didn't take off. I remember about half a dozen years ago now, Toowoomba. Toowoomba had um, a new airport being built and um, uh, I think a bypass. And there were, there were lots of big projects that were believed to stimulate that area, these infrastructure projects. The problem is every developer and his cousin knew about it and so they started cashing in on it. They thought, okay, well, I'm going to build a, a block of townhouses and try and flog them off because of all these infrastructure projects. And uh, prices just didn't, didn't burn. They just didn't take off because the demand was met with supply. But if you've got a market that developers don't know about, it's not on their radar, it's not in the news, the media isn't covering it. It's just a simple case of supply getting soaked up then that sort of market is going to last a lot longer. That imbalance where demand exceeds supply is going to last a lot longer because it, it takes a lot of price growth, a lot of people turning up to open inspections before uh, a developer re- recognises, hey, this, this is an opportunity, and then they try and get in there to, and, and spoil things. So... Um, if I hear nothing from a real estate agent about what's going on other than a lot of people turning up to open inspections, then, then I know that's more than likely a, a safe market. And 
I don't go into too much detail about the nature of the property or the street that it's in. I think that the the vast majority of the capital growth that I'm going to get is is from the market in general. So I'm not fussed about having the best property and the best street. I just want to be somehow involved in the best suburb and it, it will do the majority of uh, the heavy lifting. So what is his analysis on a growth corridor they shared publicly? A growth corridor uh, is probably something I'd want to avoid as an investor. Um, it's it's interesting, this, uh, uh, this thing with population growth. Um, I actually don't consider population growth statistics at the suburb level anyway to be of tremendous help. Um, in fact, if, if you could identify to me the suburb with the highest population growth, that would probably be top of my list to avoid because... The markets that are going to deliver the best capital growth are more likely the markets where you can, cannot have any population growth. Vacancies at zero, council will not allow any new development. So how can the population in that area actually grow? The growth corridors is where developers have, have leveled the land and created new blocks and new buildings, and then people move into them then the data is recorded and you see massive spikes in population. But that's supply-based. So the population grew because of additional supply. Supply is the enemy of capital growth. I mean, people are going to live somewhere, but, but as a property investor, uh, developers are, are our enemy. Supply is, is the enemy of capital growth. So, so a growth corridor is a, is, a, is a population growth corridor. And when they say... Um, uh, this area is is going to have a population growth. There's going to be another 30,000 people that fill this area over the next 10 years. And it sounds all really impressive, but the way in which they do those estimates is they figure out how much land can be subdivided, how many dwellings can be added. It's all about how much can we supply to this market, to this, this geographical area, and then assuming people fill that, we get our population growth estimate of 30,000 people. So it's actually, when, when they're recorded like that, when they're published like that, it's, it's an indicator of supply, not an indicator of demand. A lot of people picture, oh, there's these 30,000 people lining up at the gates waiting for them to be opened and they're, they're going to tear in and I want to have a property to offer them. But it's not like that. It's, it's a supply indicator, not a demand indicator. So I would generally try to avoid population growth corridors because that's just where supply is going to be added. I'd be looking for markets where where there cannot be any population growth. With such sophisticated strategy, Location Score takes the challenge out of hunting for a property by finding the right property for you through an unbiased score from 0 to 100. I think yeah, the, the beauty about having a, a database of all these all these metrics for different suburbs around the country allows you to to filter through every suburb within seconds, really. The database just does all this uh, number crunching for you. Um, and there's a lot of people who will who will look at data. And like I mentioned, you know population growth is a big one. and everyone seems to think that population growth for this suburb, that's really important for that suburb, and they want the highest population growth result. I interpret it as being a potential problem. Um, so first of all, there's interpretation of the data. You want uh, 
if you want an expert, someone who's experienced with property investing to interpret all the data that is out there, like you say, there's a huge amount of it. Uh, secondly, you want that data in a consistent manner for, for every suburb countrywide so that you can pick out the best from the worst. And this is the beauty of, of having a database like, like with uh, Location Score. You can quickly uh, filter out 99% of those markets that just just don't cut it from a, a numerical perspective. Um, and the, the algorithm operates the same, whether it's a, uh, in Sydney or in Perth or in Adelaide. It's, it's consistent and it's, it's unbiased. So you're not getting an opinion of, uh, you know, a, a truck driver or a, or a, um, a mortgage broker or an accountant. You're, you're just getting a completely unemotional algorithm saying, here is the score, the metrics, how they stack up for this suburb, and you can compare it with another suburb. And that just gives you a great starting point for the next phase of your research, the more manual sort of research, like I mentioned, you know, contacting real estate agents and looking at the at the council website. And and location score is it's a score from zero to hundred for each property market around the country. So we look at things like auction clearance rates, vacancy rates, percentage of stock on market. So we look at every demand and supply metric or the key key ones, and we roll it up into a single easy to understand score out of a hundred. Higher the score, the more demand exceeds supply, and so the more likelihood that you're going to get capital growth. And so we use location score in, in this respect. We, we use it as a shortlisting tool to filter through literally thousands of property markets within seconds. And the ones at the top of the list, we can then do our more fundamental research on. Location score was mostly directed towards DIY investors who wanted to avoid investing in dangerous markets. I have friends who... I mean, they know I'm in real estate, they know I'm in property investment research, and I'm amazed. They'll, uh, they'll go out and, um, and make an impulsive buy uh, without even consulting me, and they'll, they'll purchase a, a property that, that I probably wouldn't touch. Um, and I think this is how most investors get, get stuck. They see a, a glossy brochure from a, a property developer and, and they think, well, it seems like a, a nice, nice idea. And then they go and make this impulsive decision and, and they're stuck with it. And five years later, it's gone nowhere. Um, and so location score is designed to very easily you just log in and within literally a couple of minutes, you can see whether you've just flagged a danger zone. Um, one to avoid or whether it's at least okay um, and then you start asking the question well, where are the best markets and that's when you can you can use location scores top 250 in whatever state or capital city you, you've got an interest in. Um, obviously there's a lot more research to it but we're, we're giving investors for a very affordable price uh, in a very quick research tool that allows them to uh, at least hit the ground running with something half decent. If Shepard were to meet himself from 10 years ago, what advice would he give? For 10 years ago, I hadn't done any sort of data research. So I might have said something like, um, you know, focus on supply and demand and big data. Big data is going to change the world. Focus on big data and supply and demand. 
For the next five years, he's excited about the new release of the products he has been working on. The thing I'm most excited about is the products that we'll release either later this year uh, or early next year. Um, I think they're, they're going to be game changers and they're along the same lines of, of location score but just um, tenfold bigger. To me, I get, a, I get a big buzz out of providing a tool that other people can use and, and it just it changes their financial future. Um, that to me is, is, is the most exciting thing I'm looking forward to in the next couple of years. Thank you to Jeremy Shepard, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to find out more about Location Score, visit propertyinvestory.com forward slash location score where you can get a special discount right now. Also, when you purchase through my affiliate link, I'll give you one month access to Property Investory Club where you can learn from the experts and be part of a private property investing community valued at $99. Visit propertyinvestory.com forward slash location score today. If you love the show and you're ready to get serious about saving on your home loan, give MeBank a call. MeBank is the bank built by industry super funds, famous for their competitive rates and flexible home loan options. So, whatever your investment strategy, you'll find the loan that's right for you. Call MeBank on 131 563 or visit mebank.com.au. Terms and conditions apply. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.